Chapter 5. Skill number 2. Inviting prospects to understand your product or opportunity. Once you've identified your prospects, the next skill is learning how to properly invite them to find out more about your product or opportunity. This is by far the most critical skill to develop. I call it the gateway skill for network marketing. If you aren't successful in getting anybody to take a look, then we can guess what your future will look like in MLM. Most people think you must start off with a great reputation and have a lot of influence with others for them to take a look at your opportunity. It's just not true. When I first started in 1988, I had no reputation and no influence. I barely escaped high school, attended one semester of community college before dropping out, and had a total of 18 jobs all before the age of 23. Do you think I had a lot of respect in the community? I had zero. And since I was a 5 to $10 an hour person, all of my friends were the same, so they weren't much help. Most of them were still living with their parents. But I was desperate, and I was scrappy. In the beginning, I made up in numbers what I lacked in skill. I called everyone I knew, and I gave them my pitch. A few of them joined. Most didn't. I placed ads in the local newspaper. I gave all of the people who responded my pitch. From all of that activity, a few joined. Most didn't. I tried everything. I was like a hunter with the goal of bagging an elephant. I went around with my gun slash opportunity in my hand and shot at everything that moved. I didn't really care about relationships. All I cared about was getting the new recruit. My attitude was some will, some won't, so what next? But because I was a hunter, everyone around me felt hunted. And they started to avoid me. And it wasn't fun. Even worse, the people I did get to join my business tried to do the same thing I was doing, failed, and then quit. After three or four years of frustration, I came to my defining moment and started studying successful people in MLM to see what they did. What I found surprised me. They weren't hunters. They were more like farmers. They built relationships. They built friendships. They learned how to build trust with the people they met and were able to skillfully transfer the belief they had about their products and opportunity. Their goal wasn't to immediately recruit their prospects. Their initial objective was to educate their prospects on what they had to offer and then let those prospects decide if it was something they wanted to do. This was a huge switch in strategy for me, and I began to look at things differently. I put myself in the prospect's shoes and thought about what would be attractive to me and, alternatively, what would cause me to put up my defenses. I realized why the pros had such great results. Instead of acting like sharks, they were more like coaches or consultants. They built relationships and then offered common-sense solutions to people's problems. Who wouldn't like that? The other thing I noticed with the professionals is they didn't pitch their product or opportunity. Instead, when the timing was appropriate, they just invited people to do one of two things based upon the individual prospect situation. The first thing they did was invite people to attend some sort of event, such as a one-on-one or two-on-one meeting with another member of their team, or a three-way phone call conversation, a small group presentation in their home, an online webinar, a local hotel meeting, or some larger company event or convention. Professionals understand that personal interaction is a critical component when it comes to building trust and transferring belief, so they try to connect people as much as possible. The second thing they did was invite people to review some sort of tool. I'm a big believer in using tools to help educate a prospect. Tools take many forms. There are CDs, DVDs, magazines, brochures, websites, and online presentations. With some companies, you can even let people sample the product and treat that as a tool. There's no question that technology continues to evolve, offering more and more convenient ways to help educate prospects. But I have to interject a personal opinion based upon experience. 
While technology allows us to get people quality information quickly, there's nothing like a physical tool. In a world of bits and bytes and in a network marketing world where it's important to build trust, a physical tool makes it real. Of the two methods used to help educate the prospect, events are the most effective. There are lots of reasons. There's a physical interaction from meeting with people, and that helps build trust. There's the important element of social proof. It's valuable for the prospect to see that there's other people actively involved and find out what those people are like. There's education on the product and the financial opportunity. They get to see firsthand the kind of support that's involved, and they realize they won't have to do everything by themselves. In most cases, there's an excitement and urgency at these events, and they get to hear stories of how things are going for other people. Those are some of the benefits. The only downside to events is they can be difficult to schedule and confirm, especially for a brand new person. If you don't have the skills, it's fairly common to invite 20 people and have one or two show up, and that can be very discouraging. For building a large and duplicating organization, I've found that a tool is a better first step. Remember, our goal is education and understanding. We want people to know what we have and understand how it can benefit their lives. A tool is a great way for people to become educated and hopefully excited in the middle of their busy lives. They might not have time to drive across town to meet with you, but they can listen to a CD in their car, or watch a short DVD, read a magazine, or watch an online presentation. If you were to look back at my career, you'd see that tools changed everything for me. In 1990, my company came out with a video that was dynamic and exciting. Even though it was wildly expensive at $15 each, back then it was worth it. Because when you learned how to invite people to watch that video, the results were dramatic. Everyone in the company became focused on a daily method of operation that centered around inviting people to watch our video. We allowed no distractions. Our entire culture revolved around this strategy, and our growth went through the roof. Events were still very important, but they were a second step after a person watched our video. By adopting this new approach, my organization finally broke out, and I was able to enjoy the experience of having a group that grew with or without me. It was more fun than I can describe. My group grew from a few dozen to a few hundred and then a few thousand. All I did was learn how to successfully invite people to watch a video, follow it up with an invitation to an event, and teach everyone else to do the same thing. The second career breakthrough took the form of an audio cassette. Yes, I said cassette. This was 1992, and that's all we had. The company was launching something new and exciting, and this time I personally recorded an audio that explained the opportunity in detail. We sold it for 50 cents a piece, which covered our costs, and in less than one year, that little audio cassette sold over a million copies. We taught people how to invite prospects to take that cassette, put it in their car, and listen to it right away. The results were amazing. We trained people to get 100 cassettes at first, get them out to everyone they knew, and then have them focus on getting out two a day after that. Using that simple system, my income grew to almost a million dollars a year. Different companies use different tools and event strategies to grow their business. Some use home parties, some use online presentations, some use one-on-ones with magazines and flip charts. Find what's working best in your particular company, develop your daily method of operation, and then train your people how to effectively do the same and invite their prospects to plug in. As a professional, you're going to be inviting your prospects to review a tool or attend an event. Here's what you're not going to be doing. You're not going to be pitching people and trying to dazzle the world with your wisdom. That approach will feed your ego, but steal from your bank account. Let me give you my formula for financial independence in network marketing. Your ability to get a large group of people to consistently do a few simple things over an extended period of time. It was this formula 
that helped me break out of network marketing mediocrity, and it will help you do the same. For years, I focused and depended on my ability to persuade other people to join me. Then I graduated to finding a few key leaders I could train to do what I was doing. And finally, I learned the formula I just gave you and began to focus on getting a large group of people to consistently do just a few simple things and to keep doing them. When that happened, everything changed for the better. Those are the fundamentals. Let's take a moment to talk about the emotions of inviting. There are four basic rules. Rule number one, you must emotionally detach yourself from the outcome. This is extremely important. Remember, our initial goal is education and understanding. It's not getting a new customer or signing a new distributor. In other words, if you disconnect your emotions from that outcome and just focus on education and understanding, everything gets very simple. This sounds easy, but it's difficult to do. All of us come into this business with the hope of recruiting some great people. It's hard to disconnect from those expectations. But you need to remember, we're not hunters. We're not sharks. Our job is to educate people and help them understand what we have to offer. We act as consultants, offering suggestions on how people can live a better life. If you focus on getting a customer or a new distributor, you'll constantly be disappointed and you'll find your prospects running away from you. If you focus on education and understanding, you'll have fun and your prospects will enjoy the experience. Rule number two, be yourself. So many people become a different person when they start inviting. This makes everyone uncomfortable. Be yourself. Just focus on being your best self. Rule number three, bring some passion. Enthusiasm is contagious. It's okay to get a little bit fired up. Get focused. Listen to some music that inspires you. Smile when you're on the phone. I assure you, your positive emotion will translate into better results. Rule number four, have a strong posture. This was a big one for me. At first, I was so insecure. I didn't think anyone would take me seriously. But as I watched the professionals, I noticed their posture. They were bold. They were confident. They were strong. So I decided to be bold as well. I stopped apologizing all the time. Instead of saying, yes, I know, I've had a lot of jobs so far in my life, but I'm hoping this will be the change I've been looking for, I started saying, guess what? I'm sick and tired of the life I've led up until this point, and I've decided to take charge. I wouldn't bet against me because I'm serious. You feel the difference? Be yourself, but be a bolder self. Be yourself, but be a stronger self. Be yourself, but be a more confident self, at least when you're inviting. I found I could do that for short periods of time at the beginning. And just like building a new muscle, I could eventually do it longer and longer until it became part of me. So now that we've set the stage, let's go through the invitation formula. This formula is designed to be used over the phone or face-to-face. It's not to be used with texting, email, or any other communication tool, just on the phone or face-to-face. This can work with your warm market prospects, someone you know, or cold market prospects, someone you meet while living your life. I'll give you examples for both. There are eight steps to a professional invitation. That might sound complicated, but with a little practice, you'll find it's an easy skill to master. Step one, be in a hurry. Step two, compliment the prospect. Step three, make the invitation. Step four, if I, would you. Step five, confirmation number one, get the time commitment. Step six, confirmation number two, confirm the time commitment. Step seven, confirmation number three, schedule the next call. And step eight, get off the phone. Step one, be in a hurry. This is a psychological issue. People are always more attracted to a person who has things going on. If you start every call or face-to-face conversation giving the impression that you're in a hurry, 
you'll find your invitations will be shorter, there will be fewer questions, less resistance, and people will be more respectful of you and your time. Examples for warm market prospects. I don't have a lot of time to talk, but it was really important I reach you. I have a million things going on, but I'm glad I caught you. I'm running out the door, but I needed to talk to you real quick. Examples for cold market prospects. Now isn't the time to get into this, and I have to go, but... I have to run, but... Get the message? Set the tone with some urgency. As for the examples I'm sharing with you, don't worry too much about the exact words. Just focus on the concept and use your own words. Let people know you're busy, you've got a lot going on, and your time is short, but it was important for you to talk to them real quick and do it with some passion in your voice. Step two, compliment the prospect. This is critical. The sincere compliment, and it must be sincere, opens the door to real communication and will make the prospect much more agreeable about hearing what you have to say. Examples for warm market prospects. You've been very successful, and I've always respected the way you've done business. You've always been supportive of me, and I appreciate that so much. Great to use with family and close friends. You have an amazing mind for business and can see things other people don't see. For as long as I've known you, I thought you were the best at what you do. Examples for cold market prospects. You've given me some of the best service I've ever received. You're super sharp. Can I ask what you do for a living? You've made this a fantastic experience. The key to the compliment is it must be sincere. Find something you can honestly use to compliment your prospect and use it. This simple step will literally double your invitation results. When you start with urgency and a compliment, it becomes very difficult for a person to react negatively to your invitation. People don't hear compliments very often. It feels good. You'll find your prospects will become very receptive. If you study the pros, you'll find they are constantly putting people in a good mood through their honest and sincere compliments. It helps to build rapport. It helps to open people's minds. And mostly, it helps achieve our goal of education and understanding. Step three, make the invitation. This is a situation where one size does not fit all. There are three kinds of invitation approaches for the network marketing professional. The direct approach. This is used when you're inviting people to learn more about an opportunity for them. Most people use a direct approach for all of their prospects. It usually goes something like this. I found a way for you to get rich. Let me tell you all about it. Blah, blah, blah. I understand the passion, but really, who's going to get excited about that unless they're getting a call from a millionaire? That doesn't mean the direct approach doesn't work. It does. It has an important place in your invitation process, but it should be reserved for people who know and respect you or for people that you know are searching for something better. Examples for more market prospects. When you told me you hated your job, needed more money, wanted to find a new house, etc., were you serious or were you just kidding around? They'll almost always tell you they were serious. Great, I think I found a way for you to get it, solve the problem, make that happen. This is for situations where you know an area of their dissatisfaction, need, or desire. I think I found a way for us to really boost our cash flow. When I thought of people who can make an absolute fortune with a business I found, I thought of you. Are you still looking for a job or a different job? I found a way for both of us to start a great business without all the risks. Let me ask you a question off the record. If there was a business you could start working part-time from your home that could replace your full-time income, would that interest you? Examples for cold market prospects. Have you ever thought of diversifying your income? Do you keep your career options open? Do you plan on doing what you're doing right now for the rest of your career? You can follow these cold market scripts or any variations with the following. I have something that might interest you. Now is not the time to get into it, but... 
The Indirect Approach This is another powerful tool to help people get past their initial resistance and educate them on what you have to offer. The Indirect Approach is about asking the prospect for help, input, or guidance. I used this approach extensively and with great success when I first started out. Because of my lack of credibility at age 23, I couldn't get much success with a direct approach, so I learned to play myself down and play up to the prospect's ego. It worked incredibly well, and it still works today. Examples for warm market prospects. I've just started a new business, and I'm really nervous. Before I get going, I need to practice on someone friendly. Would you mind if I practiced on you? This is a great approach for family and close friends. I found a business I'm really excited about, but what do I know? You have so much experience. Would you look at it for me if I made it easy on you? And let me know if you think I'm making the right move. A friend told me the best thing I could do when starting a business is to have people I respect take a look at it and give me some guidance. Would you be willing to do that for me if I made it simple? Examples for cold market prospects. When you meet someone from another city, state, or country, and if your company does business there, you can say, my company's expanding in your area. Would you do me a favor and take a look at it and let me know if you think it would work where you live? When you meet someone who might provide good input on your product, you can say, I've started a business with a product I think makes a lot of sense, but I'd like to get your input. Would you be willing to check it out and give me your opinion? The Super Indirect Approach The third approach is the Super Indirect Approach. This approach is incredibly powerful because it works on a number of psychological levels. In this approach, you tell prospects they aren't a prospect and you're just interested in finding out if they know someone else who might benefit from your business. It's very effective. Examples for warm market prospects. The business I'm in clearly isn't for you, but I wanted to ask, who do you know that's ambitious, money-motivated, and would be excited about the idea of adding more cash flow to their lives? Who do you know that might be looking for a strong business they could run from their home? Who do you know that's hit a wall with their business and might be looking for a way to diversify their income? I'm working with a company that's expanding in this area, and I'm looking for some sharp people that might be interested in some additional cash flow. Do you know anyone who might fit that description? In most cases, they're going to ask you for more information before they give you any names. Behind that request will be curiosity and intrigue, thinking this might be for them, but they're not going to admit that to you yet. When they ask for more information, you can respond with, that makes sense. You'll want to know more about it before you refer some of your contacts then you could just move to step four. Examples for cold market prospects. Cold market is exactly the same as warm market for the super indirect approach. Just use the warm market scripts or any variation that's comfortable for you. Step four. If I would you. This question has been my secret weapon for a very long time. It is by far the most powerful phrase I've come across in building a large and successful network marketing business. If I gave you a DVD, would you watch it? If I gave you a CD, would you listen to it? If I gave you a magazine or some other printed material, would you read it? If I gave you a link to a website with a complete presentation, would you check it out? If I invited you to a special invitation-only webinar, would you attend? If I invited you to a special invitation-only conference call, would you listen in? This question is so powerful, and for a number of reasons. First, it's reciprocal. You're saying you'll do something if they'll do something. As human beings, we're hardwired to respond positively to these types of situations. Second, it puts you in a place of power. You're in control. You're not begging. You're not asking for favors. You're simply offering a value exchange. 
And third, it implies that you have something of value to offer. You're saying that you will do something, but not unless the other person will do something in exchange. When you value what you have, people will respect you. When I first started, I didn't know about this magical question. I just said things like, I really, really, really want you to watch my video, try my product, listen to the CD, etc. You can imagine the results. The whole psychology of it is weak. If you use, if I would you, you're having a business conversation. If you use, I really, really, really want you, now you sound desperate, and a desperate distributor is not attractive. If you've used this approach, you already know what I'm talking about. If I would you gets results. It gets people to say yes. It helps prospects see what we have in a different light. Remember, our goal is education and understanding. If I would you helps us achieve that goal. If you started the call with urgency, complimented the prospect, made the invitation, and asked if I would you, their answer will be yes almost 100% of the time, and you can just go to step five. If they ask for more information first, just respond with, I understand you want more information, but everything you're looking for is on the CD, DVD, printed piece, link, etc. The fastest way for you to really understand what I'm talking about will be for you to review that material. So if I gave it to you, would you review it? If they say no, then thank them for their time and move on. Also, review steps one through three to see where you might have done better, but do not give your material to them. So you've gone through the first four steps and the person said yes, success. They've agreed to review your tool. Does that mean they'll follow through? Nope. In fact, only about 5% of your prospects will do what they said they would do if you just use the first four steps, and 5% is not a good number. To get closer to 80%, you need to complete the invitation process professionally. Step five, confirmation number one, get the time commitment. You've asked if I would you, and they've said yes. The next step is to get a time commitment. When do you think you could watch the DVD for sure? When do you think you could listen to the CD for sure? When do you think you could read the magazine for sure? When do you think you could watch the link for sure? Don't suggest a time for them. That's another mistake I made early on in my career. Just ask the question and wait for them to respond. This question makes them think about their schedule and their commitments, find a place to review your tool, and communicate that back to you. In other words, it makes it real. When you first asked if I would you and they said yes, it was someday. When you get the time commitment, it starts to be real. The only thing that matters is that they give you a time. It doesn't matter what that time is. Let them think about their schedule and tell you when they will have reviewed the materials for sure. About 90% of the time, they'll give you an answer. The other 10% of the time, they'll be vague, saying something like, I'll try to do it sometime. If they do that, then tell them, I don't want to waste your time or mine. Why don't we just lock in a time when you'll have seen it for sure? Remember, they've already said they'll review it in step four. This is just confirming the time. The key to all of this is that they've now said yes twice. The first time when they answered, if I would you, and the second time when you received a time commitment from them. So now you can give them the tool, right? Wrong. You're not done yet. The professionals take a few more seconds to complete a couple more steps before they're finished. Step six. Confirmation number two, confirm the time commitment. If they tell you they'll watch the DVD by Tuesday night, your response should be something like, so, if I call you Wednesday morning, you'll have seen it for sure, right? If they say they'll listen to the CD by Thursday morning, your response should be, so, if I called you sometime later in the day on Thursday, you'll have listened to it for sure, right? If they say they'll watch the link by July 1st, 
Your response should be, so if I call you on July 2nd, you'll have looked at it for sure, right? They will either naturally say yes or they will adjust the time slightly. In any case, the significance of step six is now they've confirmed three times and they are much more likely to follow through. And the key is, this isn't an appointment you've set. It's an appointment they've set. They said they'd review the materials. They would do it by a specific time. And if you called them after that, they would have reviewed the materials. You've asked the questions. Their answers made the appointment. Step seven, confirmation number three, schedule the next call. This step is simple. Just ask, what's the best number and time for me to call? They'll give you what works best for them, and now you have a real appointment. All you have to do is be sure to remember to call when you said you'd call. They've said yes four times. The whole invitation took a few minutes, and your chances of achieving your goal of education and understanding has gone from about 5% to about 80%. Step eight, get off the phone. Remember, you're in a hurry, right? Once you've confirmed the appointment, the best thing to say to someone is something like, great, we'll talk then, gotta run. Too many people make the appointment and then unmake it by talking and talking and talking. Remember, our goal is education and understanding, and we're going to let the third-party tool do most of the work. Here are some examples of all eight steps. A person you know who hates their job. Direct approach. Hey, I don't have a lot of time to talk, but it was really important I reach you. Listen, you're one of the most financially intelligent people I know, and I've always respected that about you. When you told me you really didn't like your job, were you serious or were you just kidding around? They say they were serious. Great, I think I've found a way for you to create an exit strategy. I have a CD that describes what I'm talking about better than I can. If I gave you this CD, would you listen to it? They say yes. When do you think you could listen to it for sure? They say Tuesday. So if I call you Wednesday morning, you'll have reviewed it for sure, right? They say yes. All right, I'll check back with you then. What's the best number and time for me to call? They gave me the information. Got it. We'll talk then. Gotta run. Thanks. A good friend. Indirect approach. Hey, I'm running out the door, but I needed to talk to you real quick. Do you have a second? Great. Listen, you've always been so supportive of me, and I appreciate that so much. I've just started a new business, and I'm really nervous. Before I get going, I need to practice on someone friendly. Would you mind if I practiced on you? They say sure. Great. If I gave you a DVD that laid out the information in a professional way, would you watch it? They say yes. It's about 15 minutes long. When do you think you could watch it for sure? They say Thursday. So if I called you Friday morning, you'll have reviewed it for sure, right? Fantastic. What's the best number and time for me to call? They give you the information. Great. We'll talk then. Gotta run. Thanks. A highly successful person. Super indirect approach. I know you're busy, and I have a million things going on too, but I'm glad I caught you. You've been wildly successful, and I've always respected the way you've done business. I've recently started something new, and I'm looking for some sharp people. It's clearly not for you, but I wanted to ask, who do you know who's ambitious, money-motivated, and would be excited about the idea of adding a significant amount of cash flow to their lives? They say they do know some people. I understand that you'd want to know more about it before you recommend people. I have a DVD that explains exactly what I'm doing and the kind of people I'm looking for. It's brief. If I sent one to you, would you review it? They say they would. Thanks. When do you think you could view it for sure? They say next Monday. Okay, so if I call you next Tuesday, you'll have reviewed it for sure, right? Okay, I'll check back with you then. What's the best number and time for me to call? They give the information. Okay, great. Thanks again. I appreciate it so much. Talk to you next Tuesday. 
a cold market prospect who's done a good job selling you something. Direct approach. Now isn't the time to get into this, and I have to go, but you're super sharp, and I happen to be looking for some sharp people. Do you plan on doing what you're doing now for the rest of your career? They say no. Good. I have something that might interest you. Now isn't the time to get into it, but I have a DVD that explains it all in great detail. If I gave it to you, would you watch it? They say yes. When do you think you could watch it for sure? They say Sunday. So if I called you Monday, you'll have reviewed it for sure, right? They say yes. All right, I'll check back with you then. What's the best number and time for me to call? They give you their information. Okay, here it is. Thanks again for the excellent service, and I'll talk to you soon. Are you feeling the flow of how this works? Obviously, there are many possible variations for different kinds of prospects, but I hope these examples help you understand how everything comes together. In terms of scripts, it's best if you get the basic concepts down and don't focus too hard on the exact script. Life doesn't work that way. But if you learn to let your prospect know you're in a hurry, then compliment them, then invite them, then pass on a tool with If I Would You, then confirm using the process I described, and finally get off the phone or complete the invite, you'll do just fine. Remember, in recruiting, there are no good or bad experiences, just learning experiences. On your journey to become a network marketing professional, the best thing that can happen is for you to develop the skills to recruit on demand in any situation. Then you never have to worry about being lucky. So practice, practice, practice. Chapter 6, Skill Number 3, Presenting Your Product or Opportunity to Your Prospects. We've talked about the first two skills of identifying prospects and inviting them to learn more about your product or opportunity. As you've learned, you'll be inviting them to review a tool or attend some sort of event. If they are reviewing a tool by themselves and you're not around, there's nothing for you to do. Just follow up when you said you would. If you're physically with them, there are some things you need to understand, and one of the biggest is, you are not the issue. This was a tough one for me to accept. When I first got started, I read everything I could, listened to everything I could, and attended all the training sessions I could. I thought the most important thing I could do was become an expert on all the facts associated with my company. So if anyone asked me any questions, I'd be right there with the answers. Sounds logical, right? I would sit down with someone and say, let me tell you all about our products. Let me tell you all about our company. Let me tell you all about our compensation plan. Let me tell you all about our incredible support system. There are big problems with that approach if you want to build a large and successful organization. For me, the first problem was, no matter how much I learned, there would still be questions that stumped me. And since I was presenting myself as the expert, if I got stumped, that might make the prospect question the whole opportunity. The second problem was, most of my prospects knew I wasn't an expert. So when I came to them and presented myself as an authority figure, they knew it wasn't true. It actually made them more skeptical. The third problem was, even if I was successful at becoming an expert, the other distributors in my organization didn't necessarily have that same desire or willingness to learn. As a result, I was the go-to guy for every single presentation. There's no way to create an organization that will duplicate with this approach. And without duplication, network marketing is just a job. In the early days, that's what network marketing was for me, a job. I had no duplication because I made myself the issue. 
but I was determined and I started to observe and take careful note of how the most successful distributors did their presentations. The pros never made themselves the issue. More than that, they never presented themselves as an expert. They acted as a consultant who connected the prospect to tools, events, or other distributors to help them become educated. If the prospect asked a question, they would guide them to the answer, but they wouldn't give the answer directly. This baffled me until I started to comprehend duplication. The pros knew they could sign the person up by dazzling them with their knowledge and experience, but they also knew it would take a long time for their new distributor to do the same thing. So they came up with a simpler approach. It was around this time I heard a concept that has stuck with me ever since. In network marketing, it doesn't matter what works. It only matters what duplicates. This should be a guiding principle for every network marketing professional. The pros use tools instead of their own wisdom. The pros use live events instead of their own presentations. The pros use other distributors to give the facts instead of giving them themselves. The pros don't present themselves as experts. They just invite people to learn more about the product or opportunity and let the third-party resource provide the information. The pros bring passion, enthusiasm, excitement, and belief. If you ever watch a pro at work, you'll see a fire in them that's contagious. Make passion, enthusiasm, excitement, and belief your priority. Then invite professionally and let the third-party resource do the rest. In addition to learning how to effectively present your product or opportunity during your personal recruiting efforts, it's also important to learn how to present your opportunity to groups of people. I've heard it said, and I think it's true, the person with the marker makes the money. In other words, the person in front of the room giving the presentation usually has a higher-than-average income. When I first got started, I was deathly afraid of speaking in front of people. But I was ambitious, and since everyone said this was an important skill, I was determined to master it. I started by learning how to give a short and effective testimonial. Learning to tell my story was extremely valuable in building my business and has been to this day. People aren't interested in how much you know, but they are interested in your story, as long as you don't bore them to death with it. I worked on my story for a while, and after tweaking it a time or two, here's what I came up with. Hi, my name is Eric Worre, and I'm a retired underachiever. I had 18 jobs by the time of 23 and was starting to think my future wasn't looking so good. I was embarrassed by my lack of results, and I was desperately looking for a way to make something of my life. In January of 1988, I was introduced to network marketing, and it has changed my life. Instead of being afraid of the future, now I'm excited about it. And then I would insert whatever was appropriate based upon my current levels of success. The theme of my story was, if I could do it, anyone could do it. And it worked. I used it all the time in hotel meetings, in home meetings, on three-way phone calls, on conference calls, you name it. No matter what your background is, you can craft a compelling personal story. I've found every good story has four elements. One, your background. Two, the things you didn't like about your background. Three, how network marketing or your company came to the rescue. And four, your results or how you feel about your future. Take some time to create your story and start telling it every chance you get. Next, I decided to master my company's opportunity presentation. Again, the concept of modeling successful people came into play. The top earner in my company was extremely powerful and effective. In addition, he did the same exact presentation every single time, just about word for word. 
So I recorded his presentation and transcribed it by hand onto a legal pad. When I completed that step, I recorded my own voice doing that presentation. I did it word for word, same story, same jokes. Everything was his exact presentation. After I was done, I played it back, and it was terrible. My voice had no energy. I was boring. I hated it. So I recorded it again and again and again until it was acceptable. In the end, I had an audio cassette with my presentation on it. And I listened to it over and over in my car. I'll bet I listened to that presentation 500 times. And by that time, I had it memorized. I knew it backwards and forwards. I could start from any part of the presentation and take it from there. You would not believe the confidence this gave me. I went from being afraid to do the presentation to actively looking for opportunities to give it. I did the presentation on conference calls, in home meetings, on three-way calls, and any place else I could find. I became a regular presenter at our local meetings and continued to move up to bigger and better venues, even being asked to speak at company conventions. For me, the evolution of becoming a presenter went through several stages. One, learning my story. Two, learning the standard opportunity presentation. And three, learning different training presentations. One big defining moment as a presenter came in 1993. I was 29 years old and starting to make a name for myself in network marketing. I was having a conversation with the CEO of the company and the number one distributor at that time. I can't remember exactly how the topic came up, but I recall saying something to the CEO like, well, he, the top distributor, might be a better networker than I am right now, but I can outspeak him any time. It was meant as a joke, but the CEO raised his eyebrows and said, Okay, son, I'll tell you what. We have our big convention coming up. Over 14,000 people will be in attendance. I'll give you both the same amount of time, and we'll have a private contest. I'll handpick a few judges, and they'll vote on who did a better job. Wow. Now I was really on the hook. I wasn't a huge leader. I didn't have as big an organization or reputation at the time as the top earner. So I did the only thing I could control. I started to prepare like my life hung in the balance. I chose a theme. I wrote my talk, and I rewrote it over and over. I did research. I practiced. I recorded myself doing the speech. I did everything I could possibly do. When the day came, I'd never felt so nervous in my entire life. Talking to 14,000 people is like talking to an ocean. But my preparation served me well. I steadied my 29-year-old insecure self and delivered. The response was overwhelming. The crowd went wild, literally. I felt numb when I walked off the stage as they were still cheering and sat there while the top earner gave his speech. He did a fine job, but I have to admit to you, it felt so good to have the CEO come up and congratulate me for winning our private little contest. It was definitely a defining moment. That speech was lost for a very long time, but a copy was recently discovered. If you'd like to hear it, we'll include it at the end of this chapter. My voice sounds quite a bit younger, but it's still me. To summarize this skill set, remember a few important things. One, when you're prospecting, you're the messenger, not the message. Get yourself out of the way and use a third-party tool. Two, learn to tell stories in a way that will make your prospects curious to hear more. And three, when it comes to presenting in front of a group of people, preparation is key. When you're prepared, it's fun. And as promised, here's my speech talking in front of 14,000 people as a 29-year-old young man. Over 200 years ago, 
there was a revolution, an American revolution, an event that literally changed the course of history. It was led by a group of unsatisfied people. People were tired of being told what they could do and when they could do it. People were fed up with their lack of choices and their lack of personal freedoms. People fed up with their lives being controlled by others, fed up with being oppressed, fed up with being manipulated. They finally said, enough, I've had it, and I'm not going to live like this anymore. Our Our ancestors were people that took full responsibility for what happened to them. It was that spirit that ignited a country and formed what is now a giant in the free world. I have a question for you. Where is that spirit today? It's time for another revolution. Let me explain one of the laws of the universe. It's called the law of use. And it says simply this, whatever you don't use, you lose. Lack of use causes loss. Ambition unused declines. Faith unused decreases. If you don't use your skills, you lose your skills. If you don't use your freedom, you lose your freedom. Freedom does not come automatically. It's not attained and then handed down to us as an inheritance. It must be achieved each day. At the turn of the century, in the year 1900, less than 10% of us worked for other people or the government. Over 90% of us were self-employed. We were an independent people. In 1980, only 80 years later, over 90% of us worked for the other people or the government. Less than 10% of us were self-employed. We changed from an independent people to a dependent people. We'd slowly shifted from a people who took full responsibility for everything that happened to them to a people who'd become talented and practiced at the art of blaming others for their problems. Our giant has fallen asleep. Our forefathers didn't say, who's going to take care of me? They simply said, all I ask is the opportunity to be free and the ability to take care of myself and my family. Today, we elect officials who will quote-unquote take care of us. We cry out against anyone who dares to ask us to provide more value in the workplace. We do everything we can to spread around the suffering in our society, and yet no one is willing to step up and be part of the solution. We've slowly changed from a society that compensates based on value to a society that compensates based on entitlement and seniority, what we've come to believe is our due. We act as if someone actually owes us a living. Part of this change is due to the dramatic rise of conformity in our society. We're all taught to conform. Incredible pressures are put on us every day to do things, quote-unquote, the right way. And yet no one asks the question, is this really the right way? A man once said, I'm just a collection of mirrors reflecting what everyone expects of me. We live our lives to please those around us, and the scary thing is, the people around us are doing exactly the same thing. Psychologist Rollo May calls us outer-directed people. We don't act, we only react. We seek not to be outstanding, but to fit in. We're able to respond, but not to choose. Perhaps that's why a wise man once said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. In order to change, 
We need to become interdirected people, people with our own purpose, people who are not easily swayed by the opinions of others. And that's difficult because from a very early age, we look to the opinions of others to orient ourselves and to validate our decisions and our actions. Nietzsche said, we need more strong people in this world because the weak, by their sheer mass, are forcing weak ideals and weak values on us all. Today's massive social and economic changes are waking this slumbering giant. Some people may not be ready right now for the changes happening today in today's society. It doesn't matter if they're ready or not. An old proverb says, if a man wants his dreams to come true, he must first wake up. I, for one, am glad for the radical changes in our society because I believe that within that crisis, we will find that independent spirit that once pioneered this country. Some of us are finally ready to change. The displacement of our workforce has caused many of us to start searching for something better. Moving products and moving services is our business and our goal, but what we are becoming in the pursuit of that goal is a larger and much more important issue. The rekindling of our independent spirit has more lasting value. There's no more noble a business than the business that encourages the development of people. Every living organism has one and only one central need in life to fulfill its own potentialities. The acorn becomes an oak, the puppy becomes a dog, and that's all that's required of the oak and the dog. But the human being's task in fulfilling his or her nature is much more difficult. The reason is, unlike any other living creature on this planet, you've been given the dignity of choice. You'll not grow like a tree. You'll grow only as you plan and choose to grow. When a person chooses to live, two things happen. First, assuming responsibility for themselves takes on a whole new meaning. They accept responsibility not as something they've been saddled with, but as something they themselves have chosen. The second thing that happens is that discipline from the outside is replaced by self-discipline. They accept discipline not because it's commanded, because they themselves have chosen what they want to do with their lives. Just like when the disenfranchised, disenfranchised men and women over 200 years ago got fed up and said, I'm not going to live like this one more day, there's another, there's another revolution coming. It's coming not just from Americans, but from people all over the world. It's coming from people who've been oppressed in meaningless jobs, from people who've been unjustly held back, from people who've been slighted or ignored, from people who've had their hopes crushed time and time again by the circumstances around them, from people who've been playing in a game where the rules weren't the same for everyone, from people whose dreams have almost died by the methodical dripping of negative and pessimistic forces, people who've just been waiting for the right opportunity to present itself, an opportunity that they could hold on to, believe in, a place where people believed in them. I hear the rumbling of this coming revolution every day. The old, the old rules are changing, and society is finally ready for that change. 
Will people try to persuade you not to rise up? Yes, they will, and sometimes with the best of intentions. But we must fight anyone or anything that tries to influence us against our freedom. And they'll try. Believe me, they'll try. They'll try to suggest you off course, to nudge you off course, to distract you off course. There's another revolution coming, and it's going to be led by a group of unique and courageous people like you. People who've had it with the way things are. People who've picked out their mountain in life and said, I'm going to the top. And if someone tells you, you can't climb mountains, you don't have any experience. You tell them, I'm going to the top. And if your neighbor tells you, come on, choose another mountain, that one's too rocky, what are you going to tell them? And if someone tells you, let's go over here where it's not so steep, what are you going to tell them? And if someone says network marketing, what are you going to tell them? And if your friend tells you, come on, let's climb this one, that one's too slippery, what are you going to tell them? If anyone tells you you can't go up, it's too rocky, too steep, too slippery, you say, listen here, I'm going up. You're either going to see me waving from the top or dead on the side. I'm not coming back. something about the do-or-die attitude. It's almost like when someone has a do-or-die attitude, time, fate, and circumstances seem to get together, have a hasty conference, and say, they say they're going to do it or die. We might as well let them have it. The people in this arena are special. You're special because you've already rekindled that independent spirit. You've already said that you're not going to conform to negative pressures around you. You've all said enough, I've had it, and I'm not living like this anymore. You are the people who want to set big goals and aspirations for yourselves and your families. People who want to live in a country where families are brought together again instead of being torn apart. People who want a country where once again owning your own business and controlling your own destiny is commonplace. People who want a country where every man, woman, and child is treated with equal respect and dignity. People who will pay any price so their families will not live with the legacy of maxed out credit cards and unfulfilled promises. Today we stand at the genesis of a new revolution and people like you are going to lead it. Theodore Roosevelt said these words te decades ago, and I think they're particularly appropriate today. He said, we see across the dangers of the great future, and we rejoice as a giant refreshed. The great victories are yet to be won. The greatest deeds yet to be done. I've dreamt of a company that can give us the opportunity to make these dreams come true by allowing us all to fulfill our own true potential. I love you all. Thank you very much. Chapter 7. 
Skill number four, following up with your prospects. In MLM, they say the fortune is in the follow-up. I think that's true, because most people in MLM don't follow up at all, at least not as professionals. You need to understand some important concepts if you're going to master this skill. Concept number one, follow-up is doing what you said you'd do. If you say you're going to call at a specific time, then do it. The network marketing profession is full of people who get all excited one minute and then go missing in action the next. Run your business through a physical or electronic calendar. Be the person who does what they say they're going to do. People will respect that. I sold real estate the year before I got involved in network marketing. My father and his partner owned the company. One day I was in the office and a gentleman by the name of Chuck Acock showed up for a 10 a.m. meeting with my dad. It was 9.55 a.m. and my dad wasn't in the office yet. I greeted Chuck and told him I was sure my dad would arrive soon. At 10 a.m. exactly, Chuck got up and said, It's 10 o'clock. Your dad isn't here. Have him call me if he wants to reschedule the meeting. I couldn't believe it. He came all the way to the office just to leave 30 seconds after the appointment? I told him, Mr. Acock, I'm sure he'll be here any minute. There's no need to leave. And then he told me something I never forgot. He said, Son, you are either early or you are late. He's late, and my time is valuable. Have him give me a call if he'd like to reschedule. And he left. My dad showed up at 10.10 a.m. expecting to meet Chuck. I told him what happened, and he was as stunned as I was. My dad wasn't habitually late or anything that particular morning. He was just a little casual with his time. He rescheduled the appointment, and I noticed over the years that my dad was always early for his appointments with Mr. Acock. What's the lesson in this story? For me, the lesson was that people respect a person who does what they say they're going to do. People also respect a person who values their own time. If you say you're going to follow up at a specific time or in a specific way, either do it or reschedule well ahead of your appointment. Concept number two. The only reason to have an exposure is to set up the next exposure. When I got started, I would conclude every exposure by saying, what do you think? No one told me that was one of the worst things to do. It felt like a natural thing to say, but my results were terrible. I asked one of my early mentors for help, and he said, Eric, the only reason to have an exposure is to set up the next exposure. That blew my mind. I thought the reason to have the exposure was to get the person signed up. He went on to explain that if you finish each exposure by setting up the next one, the prospect will eventually become educated on the opportunity and make an informed decision. The goal in my mind changed from getting the prospect on the first exposure to just keeping the process alive by setting up the next follow-up exposure, then the next, and the next, until they made a decision. When I made this small improvement, my results improved dramatically. We talked earlier about how to professionally invite your prospect to take a look at what you have to offer. At the end of that process, we went through several steps to set up the next exposure, meaning your follow-up call. That was your next appointment. When you make that call, you're going to ask them if they reviewed the material. They'll say, no, I didn't, or they'll say, yes, I did. Let's talk about how you'll set up the next exposure in both cases. If they say no, they didn't have a chance to review the material, it's important you don't show your displeasure at their lack of follow-up. It sounds funny, but a lot of people just jump on their prospects with, I thought you said you'd be able to see it for sure. Obviously, this won't help build that good relationship you're working on. The best way to respond is, that's okay, I understand sometimes life gets busy. When do you think you could do it for sure, for sure? You might say, for sure, for sure is a little much, but I've used that for decades in this follow-up situation, 
and I do it because it works. In any case, use whatever language you'd like to use to set up the next time and walk through the same steps to get the commitment. Once you have it, including the date and the time of the next call, the next exposure, then hang up and call them when you said you would. If you call them at the scheduled time and they still haven't reviewed the material, just repeat the process until they do. Remember, they are setting up the appointment and you are being the professional by following up like you said you would. If you call the prospect and they say yes, they've reviewed the material, you're going to ask them a few intelligent questions. First, you're not going to ask, what do you think? This just invites the critical part of the prospect's mind to come up with objections to try to sound smart. The best follow-up question I've ever used is, what did you like best? This question will take you in a very positive direction and will give you clues as to the level of their interest. If they say the product, then your next exposure will probably be product-related. If they say financial freedom, then your next exposure will probably be opportunity-related. Another great question to ask is, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being zero interest and 10 being ready to get started right away, where are you right now? With this question, anything over 1 is good. It says they have some interest. Most of the time, you'll get something like a 5 or a 6. No matter what number they give you, all you're going to do is ask them how you can help them get to a higher number. Usually, that answer will go along the lines of how they answered, what did you like best? If the answer is very positive and the number is fairly high, you can go directly into the closing process. We'll cover that in the next section. If it isn't an obvious green light, then you just schedule the next exposure. They might want to try the product. So you help them do that and set up a follow-up date, a time to call them, and check on the experience, the next exposure. They might want to understand the compensation plan. So you set up a time to get together and review it, the next exposure. They might want to talk with their spouse. So you send them home with materials they can share with their spouse and set up a date and time when you'll follow up, the next exposure. Whatever it is, you never finish one exposure without setting up the next one. Never. If you do, it's over. That's what used to happen to me at the beginning. I would have someone look at the opportunity. When they'd done that, I'd say, so what do you think? They'd usually mumble something like, I'll let you know, or I'll get back to you, or I need to think more about it, or something similar. And poof, they were gone. Then when I tried to call them back, I was just bothering them. The whole thing felt uncomfortable. Once I changed to never finishing one exposure before setting up the next one, everything changed for the better. I was being professional. I was in control. The prospect had more respect for me and for the opportunity. All of this happened from this one small change in mindset. Concept number three. It takes an average of four to six exposures for the average person to join. When people don't understand that the only reason for an exposure is to set up the next exposure, they put too much pressure on their prospects and on themselves. In the some will, some won't, so what next MLM culture, people hammer on a person once, and if they don't join right away, they move on and never follow up. In many cases, they take it a step further by damaging the relationship with the prospects with their attitude. Professionals understand that it takes an average of four to six exposures for a prospect to become involved. Their goal is education and understanding. It's hard to educate someone in one exposure. So they take them from exposure to exposure to exposure, knowing it will eventually sink in. Through that process, they also build a stronger relationship with the prospect. They strengthen the friendship. That helps build trust, and people enjoy working with people they like. Four to six exposures is an average, which means that for every person who joins on the first exposure, there's going to be a person who takes more than 10 exposures to join. 
You just never know. Some of the best people in network marketing were prospected for years before they finally made the decision to take part in the opportunity. Keep your urgency, but have patience. Concept number four, condense the exposures for better results. Posers prospect someone once and move on. Amateurs prospect someone through several exposures over time. Professionals condense those exposures into the shortest time possible. People are busy. They're constantly distracted by life. When you're approaching them to take a look at something new, it's important to keep their interest. The best way to do that is to stack the exposures as closely as possible. If you go slow, you might start by having them check out a video, then a few weeks later have them listen to a conference call, then a month later have them attend a webinar, then after another month invite them to a three-way phone call with you and another distributor. This slow process is difficult because between each exposure, they tend to get distracted by life. It can almost be like starting over every time. On the other hand, if you have them check out a video, then join a conference call, then try the product, then get on a webinar, then participate in a three-way call, then come to a live meeting, or whatever combination of exposures you use in your company and do it all in one week, you give them the opportunity to really think about how this could change their lives. Questions and Objections at every step in the recruiting process, you'll come across questions and objections. This is natural. A lot of the time, your prospect will just be bringing them up to sound intelligent. They don't want to seem easy, so they throw out objections to feel better. How you respond is extremely important. If you act defensive, you'll plant a seed of doubt in their minds. If you act offensive, you'll chase them away. Remember, our goal is education and understanding. It's not to win an argument. Our job is to help blind people see. When someone brings up a negative question, or if they offer you an objection, all they're really doing is helping you to identify one of their blind spots. It's helpful to know what these are so you can assist your prospects in eliminating them. I'm going to give you some specific tactics to help overcome objections, but the thing I want you to remember and spend more time focusing on are concepts. Tactics come and go. Concepts are timeless i found that objections fall into one of two categories. The first is the prospect's limiting belief in their abilities. They aren't sure they can be successful. The second is a limiting belief in network marketing. They aren't sure network marketing will help them achieve their goals in life. For both categories, one of the best concepts is empathy, how you relate to people. And the best way I know to relate to people is to let them know you're just like they are. You had the same doubts, the same questions, the same fears, and you overcame them. Believe it or not, your story and the stories of others will do more for you in overcoming objections than anything else. There's an old tactic called feel, felt, found. It works with the concept of empathy. When a prospect offers an objection, you respond with, I know how you feel. I felt the same way. But here's what I found. You can use that quite literally and with great success. You can also modify it based upon your story and your prospect. When prospects have a limiting belief in their abilities, the common objections in this category are, I don't have the money. I don't have the time. It's not my thing. I'm not a salesperson. I don't know anyone. Or I'm too old, too young, have no experience, etc. Some people teach fancy approaches where you make yourself seem smart and the prospect seems stupid. You don't have any money? Do you have a cable bill? Do you have a cell phone? Do you ever go out to dinner? You have lots of money. Come on, wake up. Or, 
You don't have the time? How long do you want to have that reality in your life? You have to change if you want your life to change. How does it feel when you hear that? How would it feel if someone were to say it to you? Pretty bad, right? A better approach is to relate to the person and tell your story. When a person tells me, I just don't have the money right now, I respond, I had the same exact challenge. I didn't have enough money to pay my bills, let alone start a new business. But when I thought about it, I realized if I didn't have enough money to pay my bills now, how was I going to change that in the future? I was tired of being behind. I was tired of scrambling. I wanted more out of life. So you know what I did? I found a way. And it was the best decision I ever made. Let me ask you something. If you really felt this was a chance for you to take control of your financial future, do you think you could find a way to make it happen? Nine times out of ten, they would agree they could find a way. Again, forget the exact words and focus on the concept. I told them I was the same as they were, with the same objection. I told them about my pain, and I told them I found a way to solve it. As a result, we bonded. We related to each other. We were in the same boat with the same hopes and dreams. And if I didn't have a personal story that would compare with theirs, I would tell another person's story. There are plenty of stories inside your company that can relate to virtually every situation. So when a prospect tells you their objection, you can say, I know what you mean. I have a friend who had that same exact problem, and let me tell you their story. Can you see how that approach would work with all the objections based on a person's limiting belief about themselves and their lives? The concept is simple. It's proven, and the results are amazing. When people have limiting beliefs about network marketing, this category includes, is this MLM? Is this one of those things? Is this a pyramid scheme? I'm not interested in MLM. I don't want to bother my friends. And how much are you making? Let's start with the one that strikes fear into the hearts of most people in our profession. Is this MLM? Or variations like, is this one of those things? Or is this a pyramid scheme? Or I'm not interested in MLM. Some people go a little crazy when they hear this question. They say, pyramid scheme, like every corporation in the world, like the government, you mean that? Instead of going crazy on your prospects, it's important to understand where this question comes from. My experience has shown me that they usually knew someone who joined with no success or else they've done it themselves. Usually, they just purchased a virtual lottery ticket like I described earlier and it didn't pay off. This scenario represents well over 90% of the people who will ask this kind of question. The rest of them have heard of opportunities like this and are rightfully skeptical of the promise of getting rich quick. If they ask this kind of question with any sort of emotion, I know they've been involved at some point. So I say, wait a minute. You have a story. What happened? Were you involved in network marketing at some point? Then just let them tell you their story. It opens them up. It lowers their defenses. And it allows you to ask some questions about their experience. Let me give you a typical example. I'm going through my invitation process when the prospect says, wait a minute, is this MLM? And they say it with emotion. I reply, oh, you have a story. Did you try it out at some point? What happened? They say, yeah, I joined a company a few years ago, bought some product and lost my money. I reply, what do you think was the reason you didn't have success? They say, well, my friend talked me into it. I didn't have a lot of time, and I thought more people would join right away, but they didn't. I guess I just lost interest. I reply, do you think you really gave it a fair shot? They say, no, not really. I reply, do you think network marketing was the problem, or do you think maybe your timing wasn't right? They say it was probably the timing. Do you see the dynamic? I've had thousands of these conversations, and they're all slightly different. But if you ask some questions and are friendly through the process, you have a strong opportunity to help them get rid of their blind spot and take a look at what you have to offer. In addition, you can relate to them by saying, 
you had the same objection initially and telling them how you overcame it. If someone uses the word pyramid with me, I always say, oh, no, pyramid schemes are illegal, and I would never be involved with something illegal. For people asking this with emotion attached, I usually respond with, yes, this is network marketing. Do you know anything about it? Again, I'm asking questions and waiting for answers. From those answers, I ask more questions. And through the process, I can achieve my goal of education and understanding. I don't want to bother my friends. It's slightly different. Again, I relate to them by telling my story or somebody else's story. And then I ask questions like, what makes you think you'd be bothering your friends? If you truly believed in the product, would you let your friends know about it? And... If I could show you how we can share this product with others without it feeling or sounding like a sales pitch, would that help you? The last in this category is, how much are you making? If you're making money already, this is a great question. If you're not, your answer depends on how long you've been involved. If you're brand new, you can tell them you're just getting started. If you've been around for a while and not making big money yet, you can tell them you're working part-time and are really excited about your future. You could also say that you're excited about your future with this company because you knew things weren't going to change if you didn't do something to change them. The other way to answer it is to tell your story and then tell stories of people you know who are making good money. You can even suggest setting up a phone conversation with those people so they can feel more comfortable about the opportunity. All of this takes practice, but if you get the concepts down, you'll find it becomes easy. And the other thing that should encourage you is you'll only have this handful of the same objections for the rest of your career. There's nothing new here. What I've listed in this section is about all there is. Remember, our goal is education and understanding. This is a part of the process that makes that goal a reality.